0: Go ahead and open your Bibles to uh, Psalm 119 if you haven't already. Uh, I have, uh, I've been in my fair share of, of camps uh, in my lifetime, whether as a kid going to a kid's Christian camp uh, or as a youth pastor leading a variety of uh, teen camps or a worship leader leading worship at camps. And as a kid growing up, Uh, different than we think of Christian or youth camps. My family was a camping family. Excuse me. And uh, I have wonderfully horrible memories (laughs) of setting up a massive, heavy, aluminum pole tent for a family of six. Right? I mean, I mean... These are not the days of telescoping poles built into your tent that you can set up in 60 seconds. I mean, my wife and I bought one of those many, several years ago, and uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty, you know, true to form in terms of, I, we didn't quite make 60 seconds because I'm not a professional tent setter upper, but, you know, they're a little easier to set up these days than, you know, back in the day made of this heavy material that would like stop a boulder from falling down the mountain, landing on top of your tent. This tent, this tent will support it. It'll support everything except a drop of water. (laughs) And I think our tent was sewn together in reverse because somehow it let the water in, but not out. And it begins to pool on the floor. You know what I'm talking about, yeah, if you're laughing, you've been there. <laughs> free water beds, everybody. no, but it's not enough you're uh you're a little wet, and then you've gotta get up and go to the restroom and so we didn't camp at the sites that had like nice paved roads and lights all the way and until you can find the restroom and the shower with no, 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 we had to grab a flashlight. And kind of find our way. I mean, you could walk four and a half miles on the path to get to the restroom, but who does that, right? Runners. That's who does that. Oh, another opportunity. Oh, look, stairs. Let's go that way, right? No, but if you're normal, you walk through the woods, the most direct path from here to the restroom over there, the outhouse over there, and you carry with you a flashlight or a a flash dim, right? Because like most of us, we forget to check the batteries before we go. And so it's, it's on some, and then it kind of goes off and you, you know, or if it's on, it, it shines just enough for you to see where your feet need to see, but not the branch that's about to come whap on you that the person in front of you forgets to warn you about. So then you shine it up so you can see where they're going and at that moment, there's a root that comes across the path or a, a rock that sticks up a little bit and you catch your toe on it. I mean, you get the idea. It's really helpful to be able to see where you need to go. It's really helpful to be able to see what's coming. We didn't have any of these like world's brightest flashlights. 100,000 lumens for only $670, Right? I mean, you can can see 4,400 feet in front of you. That's almost a mile. That means if you're walking and you have a friend who just got, I don't know, uh, bored or curious at the bottom of the Grand Canyon in the right position, you ought to be able to like hold your flashlight down at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. They ought to be able to see their way all the way up. Except they only have 60 seconds to do it because after one minute it goes from 100,000 lumens to 25,000 lumens. That's a big light change. Not 25,000 lumens. I mean, that's no joke, but it's a big change. It's a lot of marketing that goes into one minute of world's brightest flashlight, isn't it? What's more... Next year, the MS 18 becomes the MS 19, and it's no longer the brightest flashlight in the world. It changes. New technology comes out. You see where I'm going with all this? God's wisdom is always the brightest light in the universe. There's nothing brighter. Nothing brighter. It's the brightest light in the universe, and it's enduring. It never gets dim, never needs to be recharged. Never needs to be refreshed. Always the brightest light in the universe. It shines bright enough, far enough, and direct enough for everyone who wants to see clearly to see exactly what they need. I want you to listen to that phrase again. God's wisdom, in his word, shines bright enough, far enough, and direct enough for everyone who wants to see clearly. It never changes. You never need an update. You don't ever need a 2.0. God's wisdom is the brightest light. It always lights the path of truest joy. God's wisdom always always lights the path of truest joy. Now we're in the middle of Psalm 119. And last week we saw, as we were sort of coming to the middle of Psalm 119, the psalmist is talking about affliction. We talked about several kinds of affliction. We're not going to review them all today. But uh, primarily he's talking about affliction that is corrective and affliction that is constructive. Sometimes God's uh, affliction, the affliction that God brings into our life is for our discipline as sometimes it's uh, that would be corrective. Sometimes it's constructive. God is always striving to teach His people what He wants them to understand. And so He asks this question in verse uh, 82. He's asked it before, but He asks it again. How long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord, do I have to go through this? How long do I have to endure? When will You help me? Save me from those who are seeking my demise? And verse 89 begins to answer that question. The answer is found in the word hope. Now I'm going to fill that out with a few more words than hope, but hang on to that idea of the word hope. Hope, the Bible tells us, is a confident assurance of what we look forward to, right? Not like many of us think hope, like crossing our fingers and hoping we do well, hoping we get the present we want, hoping our team does well. No, that's the world's edition of hope. God's hope is a confident assurance that you bank your life on. It's why it's why when believers are nearing the end of this temporal earthly life, they're able to close their eyes in peace because they have every confidence that the moment their eyelids shut and the Lord or redirects their soul. They will open their eyes in glory. First point is by hoping in God's wisdom, which is synonymous with God's word, we anticipate our life to come. And you'll see this kind of smattered throughout a variety of verses in this section of scripture today. By hoping in God's wisdom, we anticipate, that means we hope for, we expect our life to come. Now I'm going to put a slide up on the screen, or Sophie's going to put a slide up on the screen for you, and it's a, a white slide, your version's white, mine's opposite, and, uh, and there's a dot on the slide, can you see it? See the dot? I'm going to give you a minute. Got it? There's a dot that you can see, or a, there's a dot that's there, A promise, and I don't just mean the dots that make up all the white image. There's a black dot in that screen. Some of you think you have it. Now we'll find out. Let's zoom in. Here we go. 100 times zoom right here. Can you see it now? Yeah, it's been there the whole time. Now we just zoomed in a whole bunch, right? The the, the dot would represent the span of your life. And everything that's white would represent the span of God's wisdom in eternity, except this is just 1920 by 1080 pixels. And in order for this to be a truer representation, we'd have to fill not only this whole room, but the entire universe with white, like that screen and zoom back out. And you would never see that dot. That is your and my lifespan. That is your and my wisdom compared to the wisdom and the eternity of God. And what the psalmist is directing us to is to understand who we are and where we are in God's picture. In God's frame, our life is very, very tiny. Don't hear insignificant. God doesn't create insignificant people, insignificant things, but comparatively to God's wisdom, God's Eternality. Eternality, ours is so small compared to the universe of God's wisdom. God's wisdom is as sure as the universe we live in. That's what he's getting at in verse 89 when he says, Your word, O Lord, forever is fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations, you have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment, they stand, wisdom, faithfulness. By your appointment, they stand today. He's giving us a, a word picture. If you, if you think of the heavens, if you think this, of the sky, if you go beyond our little orbit and you think of the universe, the universe or the cosmos includes all galaxies. The universe, the cosmos sums it all up. But for us, remember, God, God kind of comes down to our level to explain things, not in an insulting way, in a loving way. And he's saying, when you think about the fact that tomorrow the sun's going to rise, tonight it's going to set. And we all know that's figure of speech. The sun's not actually rising and setting. The world is rotating. That's one other conversation. We get the idea. We bank our lives around it. The way that God designed the universe to function, the world to function, as sure as you can bank on tonight. Now, I'm not talking about in pride assuming that you're going to have tomorrow or even the next hour. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the general principle that you and I bank our life. We, I have appointments on my calendar for Monday, for Tuesday, Wednesday. I have appointments on my calendar for several weeks, even several months out. And we don't think about really whether those days are going to be or We just know how the world works, that God designed, and that God set into motion. And the psalmist is saying, as sure as the heavens, God, your faithfulness endures to all generations. Your wisdom, surer than anything that we know. God's wisdom is sure is the universe that we live in and even more. His faithfulness is, is the most enduring reality because God's faithfulness to his himself and his promises and his people endures one generation to another. I will tell you, there's a whole lot of conversation in this life about, about investments and future planning and all of these things are good. They're fine. But if there is one thing, one thing you need to put more investment into than anything else. It is conveying to your children, to your grandchildren, to anyone who will listen, the value and the expanse and the surety of God's wisdom and God's faithfulness. Because if you do that well, everything is by God's grace. We can't make decisions for the decisions that our children and our grandchildren will one day make. But if we do what God has called us to do as individuals, You will give a gift to your children by God's mercy to your grandchildren, to your great grandchildren, to generations who will not even possibly remember your name. And that's just fine because there's only one name they need to remember. Wisdom and faithfulness they're, they're one and the same and they both stand because God stands. God's wisdom flows from God and is confident and sure and perfect and right and enough because God is all of those things. Wisdom is not something God has but who he is and therefore every thought or word that flows from his mouth is wise. Perfectly wise, which means it's the wisest for every situation for every person for all generations. God is perfectly wise and he is perfectly faithful. He goes on in verse 96, I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. In other words, when he talks about perfection, he's talking about the end of all things. This verse might even be a good summation of Ecclesiastes, but he's saying, I've seen the limits of what is good and right and pure and excellent, but your commandment, Everything good and right, what seems perfect to me on this earth, nothing compared to your commandments, which are exceedingly broad. Your commandments cover them all. There's no end to it. I've seen the end that a human can see, and there is no end to your wisdom, your faithfulness, your perfection. Let's go back to the dot, not the zoomed in dot, I'm going to help you here. That's where it is. Now, those of you who are like, I see it. Did you see it right before? I just, it's okay. I'll just between you and the Lord. It doesn't matter. <laughs> if that little teeny dot that you can't see, that we need this enormous arrow to direct us to, and it's right at the tip of that arrow. If that dot contained all of the beauty and the wonder and the wisdom that every human that has ever existed added together and multiplied times a bazillion. Comparatively speaking, it would be in that dot compared to that white space, and you would still need to extend that space. That's why when holding out this offer of salvation, Isaiah says... And I'm not going to read the whole passage, but Isaiah 55, it's just a wonderful passage as he's holding out God's compassion. And he says, God's ways are my thoughts, speaking the words of the Lord here, are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours. And my thoughts, than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and they, they don't return but water the earth, making it bring, for, bring forth and, and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish the purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. In other words, everything God speaks accomplishes exactly what God intends, exactly how God intends, exactly when God intends. Every one of God's ways far exceeds the cumulative wisdom of all mankind. In fact, God's wisdom is too much to contain in this word. You might kind of Tilt your head at that one, like a dog that's confused about something. I don't mean to insult you. I guess I just did. You can get me back. God's wisdom is far too much to contain in these pages. But here's what you can know. Every divine word that you and I need to know about any subject in this life is contained in this word. Is there knowledge about this world that's outside of the Bible? Sure there is but everything from God that you need to know about any subject in the world. More, more specifically, your life, the lives of those you have some charge over, some instruction in, is contained here in the Bible. So why do we seem to prefer the wisdom of others, a neighbor, a friend, rather than really digging into the word of God really devoting our lives to understanding all of that white expanse that surrounds the cumulative sum of all human wisdom. I'm not asking you the question in judgment. It's rhetorical because I often do the same and I'm challenged with it. Even in writing that question, thinking of that question, you ever tried to explain something to someone and they really don't want the answer you're giving them. Right, You're trying to lead them to understand something. They're just not getting it. It doesn't matter how many ways you come at it. They're just not understanding it. You finally just kind of say, you know what? This isn't actually about whether or not you're able to understand. You don't want to understand. So let me know when you want to talk. The psalmist is seeking understanding in, and he is delighting in God's law. And when he does so, it brings the right perspective to everything in his life. That's what he's telling us here. Verse 94, he says, I am yours. So to bring that to us for everyone who is trusting in Christ, we are his. And therefore, that little dot is swallowed up by the vastness of God's eternity, which means our aim is to understand as much as God enables us to in this lifetime. Some of us will learn different truths in different seasons. Some of us, some of you will understand far more about God's word and wisdom than I will ever be able to understand. But what you need, Christian, what you need is to understand everything that God wants you to understand from His Word for your life, and for the lives of those that God sovereignly has called you to speak into. It's not knowledge for the sake of knowledge. It's not uh, memorizing the Bible. There's a pastor I know at Last Count, he had 43 books of the Bible memorized. That's impressive. And you can do okay for maybe eight or ten these little epistles, right? Like I'm starting with Philemon got it. Half a page with a big header. He's committed himself to knowing God's word. But you see, if he knows God's word, but he doesn't have an intent to apply God's word, it's useless to him. So, my my first point, and I'm going to revisit these points as I go through because it's important, because they're going to build on each other, and here's why. By hoping in God's wisdom or God's word, we anticipate our life to come. And that brings great perspective to us, like understanding where that dot is in all of that white on the screen. We need to know where we are in relation to eternity and the fact that our life, our existence, is small, not insignificant, but comparatively small. That helps us. Look to see the real thing, which is the life to come. Sherilyn uh, is a photographer, and um, years ago we went out and we bought for a certain kind of photo shoot that she was wanting to do. Uh, often we'll transform our living room into a uh, photo studio, and uh, we lived in Kentucky and we did this, and um, it was great because we had this, you know, this big uh, three-pane window, and it just gave great natural light. And anyway, we would buy this four-by-eight sheet of I don't even know what it's called, but basically the stuff you make into a whiteboard if you want to go cheap on a whiteboard, right? We've got a few whiteboards here made out of that stuff, and they've been working for quite some time. So it's that reflective, uh, glossy, white <laughs> material that somebody here I'm sure knows the answer to. Uh, and she would set that on the floor, and we'd spray Windex on it, and we'd you know, shine it up real well. And then she'd have uh, a baby or someone on that board taking a picture with a nice background and you'd get this very realistic natural that doesn't have to be photoshopped reflection right and it's not the kind of thing you see in every photo so you almost look at the photo then you immediately see the reflection and you go wow how neat is that isn't that true when you look at 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 just a glass of water on a lake and you see beautiful leaves in it and you know those upside down leaves are not going that direction but isn't that what makes the photo so neat? And so you see it, you look down, and then you're taken back to what's real, and you say, wow, what a neat reflection. But it's just a reflection. The reflection leads your eyes back to what is true and what is real. And when God's word helps us understand the small reality of our life, It is intended through the help of God's word to direct your eyes to the true thing, which is eternity. And you see your life in the span of eternity and you say, ah, now I hope. Now I hope in your word because I know that as sure as you made the heavens, my eternity in heaven is coming one day too. And so for now, I'm not living for this world. For now, I'm not living for today. For now, I'm not living for the applause of people. For now, as long as you give me Psalm 97, 70 years, maybe 80 some may be longer. Lord, would you help me use every one of those years for you? And he's musing on this. Psalm 9, verse 97, he's, he's meditating on this. Oh, how I love your law. It is the meditation of, it is my meditation all day. That word meditation is like musing on. I'm just thinking on, I'm musing on, I'm, I'm delighting in God's word. Friend, if you see the need for each one of us to sit down with God's word every day. And earlier is better. I'm not getting legalistic about it. The Bible doesn't say what time you have to spend time with God in his word. He just says all day. So let's just go with that and start in the morning. Early while it was still dark, Jesus would get up and spend time with the Lord. We get up, we open our Bible, we read it. We don't focus on how much we can maybe soak in in one moment. But we we muse on one truth. And we carry that with us throughout the day. If you're not sure where to start your time with the Lord, we call it quiet time, personal devotions, personal worship. I don't care what you call it. Open your Bible, read it, pray, ask God to give you insight and understanding, and then think about that truth all day long. That's the idea. And all day long, you're saying, Lord, this knowledge that i've gained from looking at your word i don't just want to understand it with my mind but i need you to help this seat down into my heart into my soul help me love this truth so that i can love you so that i can shed the world and walk in your truth because i need your help to put this into practice wisdom insight and understanding are found by the one who muses on and who applies god's word If God's wisdom is the brightest light, then we are to be like solar panels taking in as much of God's light and wisdom as we possibly can. Place yourself, place yourself where there's no shade blocking the brightness, the the perfect source of God's light. This morning, I looked out our backyard and I saw, uh, I love this kind of season where it's starting to warm up, but the ground is still frosty in the morning, just nice and white and pretty and frosty, right? Except I look and I what caught my eye was not a shadow by a small tree, but that the shadow looked like it had a white drop shadow, if you will. And what I noticed is that right next to that shadow was the white frost that had not yet melted on the grass because it was blocked by the shade of this small tree. In just a matter of moments, it was gone. But God has created a sun bright enough, as far away as it is, to very quickly melt all all the frost on the ground. But if there's a shadow, a small shadow... Blocking the light that won't melt as quickly because it's blocked from the light. You you may have friendships that block you from receiving the light of God's word. You're a solar panel parked in the shade of a huge oak tree, and you're thinking, why am I not understanding the Bible? Because you haven't you're you're, you haven't positioned yourself to read, understand, and apply God's word. You're choosing the applause of man over a faithful application of God's word. You're choosing friendship with those who aren't redirecting you back to God over the understanding of wisdom. Those who don't walk in the counsel of the wicked, but walk in the counsel of the Lord, the righteous, that's someone. Financial decisions that that prevent you from seeing and understanding and applying the truth of God's word. Position yourself, Christian solar panel, where you are in the best position to receive, understand, and apply God's word. When, when he meditates on God's word, he's wiser than his enemies. That almost reads a little arrogantly when you glance at it at first. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. Notice the word for here. I'm wiser than my enemies because you and your wisdom are always with me. They don't have you. I've got you. I have more understanding, more insight than all my teachers. For, because your testimonies are my my musings, my meditation i understand more than the aged for i keep your precepts do you see the connection you're always with me i'm always thinking on you and i am applying what i am learning as i think about you you want to be wise you want to be wise and understanding walk with god's word with you at all times You want to have great insight even to those who teach you? Now, that doesn't mean I'm the smartest person in the world, but he's saying, I have what I need when I need, and I understand it, largely speaking, rightly. Because you're with me, and I'm thinking on your ways, which are always right and perfect every time. And I even understand those that are my senior. I understand your truths at times, greater than those that are my seniors. Why? Because I apply your precepts. He's talking about a clear cause and effect relationship. And then he goes on and he says, I hold my feet back from every every evil way in order to keep your word. Do you hear the intentionality there? Do you hear the spiritual sweat that he's exerting here? And so we live, you you love and you live for who or what you understand to be the greatest. Now, I've exerted uh, quite a deal of energy this morning using um, comparatives or superlatives, which is uh, great, greater, greatest. And we're talking about God's word being the greatest, the wisest. That's all intentional, the brightest. It's all intentional. Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and he does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus is using a comparative statement, right? When, when the Lord sums up the Ten Commandments and Two Commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. He's not saying, oh, accept your family and yourself. I want you to hate them. No, he's using a comparison. He's saying, love me so much. Be so committed to me that it seems like you hate your own family because you're so committed to my ways. You're not swayed when your family tried to lead you to the left or to the right of my truths. No, you, you cling to me because you're committed to me. And others might think, why is he not listening to what I'm saying? I'm his blood relative. I'm her blood relative because they're committed to God's ways. And as we love God's law, as we apply it with the Spirit's power available to us, that when we walk in dark paths, we have all that we need to light our path with God's perfect lamp. We have all that we need to light it with God's perfect lamp. Now, as I said, I've been talking about brightest. I want to tell you something. That's to communicate the reality of God's wisdom. But now let's pull it back a little bit for our own application. Having the brightest light is not always the most helpful. People go to camp with their own flashlights. You don't have to be prepared to light the path for someone at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. Though that is a description of something like God's brightest Wisdom, right? What we need to understand is that better than brightest, most complete, most thorough for every moment is most exacting. The most precise direction of the right amount of light on the path you need. That would be how we understand this truth this morning. We have the brightest, the most wide shining light of wisdom in the universe. What we need is the application of the most direct and right amount of the source of wisdom. That's why the psalmist says in 105, your light, Your word is a a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. One's referring to darkness or evening. The other's referring to day. In the evening, I just need a lamp. They would carry around little bowls with the edges curled up and a little cutout on the lamp. And it would be enough to hold the wax and the wick. And the little cutout on this little bowl that they would carry would be enough to shine right in front of them where they needed the light to shine. And so God's people carry around a lamp so that at night we'd be able to see where we need to walk. In the daytime, in the daytime, well, we can see God's word is a light to our path. But to reiterate what i was saying a moment ago we need to walk on the path of holiness and truth that's the word of god the the wisdom of god refers to holiness and truth light in biblical language refers to a lot of things but among them and most important among them are holiness and truth <clears throat> he's saying the way to go is found in the bible You want to know which way to go? Have you searched God's word? You want to know what financial decision you need to make? Have you searched God's word? You want to know what to do in a certain relationship or or what to do with a business decision? Have you searched God's word? Don't separate the secular from the sacred. Your your employment at a secular corporation is still to be directed and guided by God's word in how you act as an employee or as an employer. In how to act as a, as a neighbor, you know, how to act as a, as a church member, and how to act as a, as a husband, as a wife, and how to act as a five-year-old child. Parents, teach your kids now, early. Proverbs 4.18 says, The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. And James highlights God will give wisdom to the one who intends to and commits to walking on the path of holiness and truth. You see the psalmist over and over and over and over make a firm resolve to walk in truth. He knows he won't do it perfectly. There's only one who does it perfectly. And that's why he prays in verse 108, Lord, accept my free will offerings of praise and teach me your rules. Remember Cain and Abel, they went before the Lord. God accepted Abel's offering. Not Cain's. So Cain became jealous. The Lord warned him. Sin is crouching at your door, but you must overcome it. Nope, not going to do it. The problem is with not how do we understand what God accepted or what God didn't accept. The problem is with Cain's heart, with God's perfect judgment. And James reinforces this truth. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given him. But let him ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded, a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Your path, Christian, will become brighter and brighter the more you seek to read, meditate on, understand, and apply the principles of God's Word. This world is dark, we have the light. In fact, God sent his son to be the light. Light in a dark world. The psalmist closes Your testimonies are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. Now, I just, can we just have a heart to heart moment here? I'm closing. For real, I know. But I just want to ask you a question. If you'd be honest enough, to answer it in the quietness of your own heart. Nobody knows except the Lord. Is the Bible the joy of your heart? Sometimes people take self-assessments, spiritual gifts, self-assessment, or when you apply for a job, you take a self-assessment sometimes. And one of the things that they'll tell you in a variety of different ways is, just answer the question as it really is. Don't answer like what you wish it to be in a year or you're challenged by the question now and so you're going to answer what you think you can do in a few, no, just what's the answer? A question like that because we have an enemy who rules this darkness underneath the sovereignty of the Lord, you see, he wants to come in and say, yeah, look at you. You don't love. You don't delight in God's word. Why are you even here at church? Friend, he wants to lie to you. He wants to beat you down. But God, in his word, through the gift of conviction, wants to lift you up. We look down with shame and God wants to put a couple fingers underneath our chin and say, look up to me. I've paid the penalty for it. So just confess it. How blessed is the one against whom God counts no iniquity because Jesus paid the penalty for all your iniquity. I was reading this week a quote from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I didn't plan on quoting it today. And so uh, it's going to be very, very loosely paraphrased. But he talks about the affliction and the suffering that Jesus endured. And one of the things he said that just stopped me in my tracks. Jesus' suffering was unlike any martyr ever. Because everyone who ever died for the faith had the comfort of a Savior interceding for him. And Jesus hung on that cross and said, My God! My God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus alone endured a moment of blackness. Now, we can't really describe it in human terms. Let's just be okay with that. But he did it so that when we answer this question honestly... Is God's word the joy of my heart? And we say, you know what? It's really not like it needs to be. We do not need to hang our head in shame. But we look to the one who hung in shame for you. But who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Christian, humble yourself. Lord, I don't, Enjoy you like I ought. But I sure want to. Help me learn to stand strong in your word. That's a prayerful answer. Every time.